0: I would speak to you in the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. From the Gospel of Matthew, the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The winter of 2023 has come and gone. A whopping 2.3 inches of snow, never at the same time, has released us from its icy grip. In the rectory yard, the magnolia tree is in full bloom and daffodils have risen up from the earth. And it's a safe bet that there are more tourists out there with their cameras than there are Christian pilgrims in here to worship the creator of all those wonderful things. No doubt, spring has sprung. You could call it a spring offensive, if you like. Sadly, the phrase spring offensive has another application these days. In Ukraine, now that the harsh Eastern European winter is passed, we hear news of how the criminal Russian invaders and the defending Ukrainian army both are planning spring offensives. One critical piece of Ukrainian geography may turn out to be the hot spot, the Crimean Peninsula that Russia illegally annexed back in 2014. The Ukrainians want it back. They want the Russians out of every square inch of their country, and that includes Crimea. If the next phase of the Ukrainian war involves Crimea, it will be neither the first nor the second time that the peninsula jutting into the Black Sea has been a battlefield. In October of 1854, the British, French, and Ottoman empires were there trying to stop Russian expansionism. The British Lieutenant General, Lord Cardigan, led what became known as the Charge of the Light Brigade. Cardigan had received orders from his superiors to use his light cavalry unit armed with sabers to pursue a retreating Russian artillery battery. But the orders were open to misinterpretation. And thus, instead of attacking retreating forces, Cardigan and his led his 600 or so soldiers, mounted on horseback, directly into a well entrenched, heavily armed Russian artillery battery. It was a slaughter. History has never known quite what to make of the Light Brigade's assault. Was it a valiant, or a futile, or even a suicidal charge? Should the cavalry be honored or pitied? The British poet laureate Alfred Lord Tennyson seems to capture the tension between valor and futility in his famous poem, the first stanza of which is, half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade. Charge for the guns, he said, into the valley of death rode the 600." Recent events in Ukraine remind me of the charge of the Light Brigade, and Tennyson's poem calls to mind still another infamous spring offensive, the one we commemorate today and generally call Palm Sunday. The first Palm Sunday was all about politics. Local politics delegated to Herod the king, international politics embodied in Pontius Pilate, and religious politics presided over by Caiaphas, the high priest. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem in or about the year 29 AD, he charged into a political maelstrom. The region was held in the grip of the mighty Roman Empire. Why had Rome expanded into the historic land of the Jews? Why does any empire expand? Expansion is what empires do to safeguard trade routes, to create buffer zones between themselves and outlying armies, to spread their culture and influence. At first, Rome had resisted interfering with the Jewish ways of worshiping God. They even allowed the first King Herod to construct an enormous temple. But by the time of Jesus, the Roman incursions had reached into every area of life, and the people had had enough of Roman taxes and paganism. They'd had enough of Herod and Caiaphas, whom they knew to be in collusion with Pilate and the Romans. They wanted the Romans out of every square inch of their country. Revolutionary fervor simmered in the walled city, threatening to boil over at any moment. It was at such a time that Jesus entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph. And those who spread their garments and palm branches along his way proclaimed him as King of Kings. Forward, the Light Brigade, into the Valley of Death rode Jesus and the Twelve. Tennyson continues his poem, canon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode, and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred. How far could they go against the overwhelming forces surrounding them? Surprisingly, despite heavy casualties, some of the British light brigade made it all the way to the Russian line. Right through the line, they broke, and with their sabres managed to scatter and harry some of the gunners. But in the end, they were hopelessly overmatched, and soon had to turn and retreat. Then it was cannon to the left, and cannon to the right, and cannon behind them, while horse and hero fell, they who had fought so well. Likewise, Jesus made surprising advances into the city, despite the overwhelming forces against him. With Pharisees to the right of him, Sadducees to the left of him, and Romans in front of him, Jesus soon went to the temple. There he overturned the tables of the money changers and with a whip of cords scattered and harried those who would make God's house of prayer a den of thieves. In the Passion reading to come, you will hear how Jesus, by week's end, will make it all the way to the inner chambers of the power brokers and stand face to face with Pontius Pilate, face to face with Herod face to face with Caiaphas before being cut down or lifted up, as the case may be. Indeed, history has never really known what to make of Jesus' assault on Jerusalem. Was it a valiant, a futile, or even a suicidal charge? Should we honor him, pity him, or follow him? What was Jesus thinking? What were his aims? Did he have any idea that he would penetrate as far into the center of powers as he did? If so, was his goal to die a martyr's death and ignite the city in revolution? Was it to oust the Romans or reform the temple or be the earthly king of the Jews? How did he think Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas would respond to this populist king? Dare we ask the question, did Jesus blunder? Did Jesus blunder too far into the city to the point where not even retreat was an option, but only a cross? Blunder is Tennyson's word from his verses in The Charge of the Light Brigade. Someone had blundered, he wrote. Lord Cardigan had misinterpreted the orders from on high. Or were the orders from on high too vague? Or was it both? What about the Lord Jesus? Let's face it, God's orders from on high can be difficult to discern and harder still to execute. In the Passion reading to come, you will see that by the time Jesus stands before Pilate, his disciples will have deserted, betrayed, and denied him. Those who proclaimed him king and son of David will all flee into the night. And then the only ones left were the mobs shouting, crucify him. And Jesus won't seem to have much to offer in terms of defense or offense. The case could be made that he simply got himself in over his head. Likewise, we Christians also seem outmatched and underpowered if our calling really is to convert the nations far and wide. I remember Bishop Herbert Thompson in my previous diocese commenting on a popular slogan of the time that was even having its day in the churches. Commit random acts of kindness. Sounds okay? random acts of kindness. That's great, lamented the bishop at diocesan convention. We face organized crime, corporate greed, institutional racism, and international terror. And we're going to commit random acts of kindness. Forward the Light Brigade. In our day, to accomplish a border incursion, you need tanks and troops. In Jesus' day, you needed war horses and chariots. What do we have? We have a guy on a donkey. Not much of a spring offensive. Ah, but the donkey. Don't underestimate the Palm Sunday donkey. The donkey is the clue that Jesus was by no means a blunderer. The donkey tips us off that Jesus was far too strategic to be wasting his or anyone else's time by committing random acts of kindness. An ancient oracle from the prophet Zechariah declared that God's chosen Messiah would arrive in the city riding a donkey. Any good Jew who had studied the Scriptures would have known it. Matthew tells us that the, of the deliberate steps Jesus took to secure the donkey, a secret follower in the city had one. And Jesus made arrangements well in advance for his disciples to acquire it with a series of passwords. It wasn't magically there. Jesus had arranged it. Jesus easily could have arranged for a warhorse or a chariot. But he knew that to engage the worldly powers with their own weapons would be to lose the battle before the fight could even begin. Rather, his aim was to stand in God's strength alone, following God's script that he discerned in the Scriptures. In studying the Scriptures, Jesus would have encountered not only the donkey, but also the mysterious figure that we heard about, In today's reading from Isaiah, a figure we've come to call the suffering servant, Jesus would reach two revolutionary conclusions. First, it was to be this figure, not a military warrior, who was to ride the donkey. Indeed, the long-awaited Messiah was, in fact, the suffering servant. Second, this figure, this suffering servant, was none other than himself. Jesus understood that his vocation was to suffer and die on behalf of the people, and that God would redeem the people through his suffering and death. It is hardly logical to our 21st-century minds. It's about as logical and linear as our opening Palm Sunday procession, which meandered round and round the church rather than simply going directly from point A to point B. The ways of God are strange to us. But let it not be said that Jesus is unworthy of our allegiance. Let it not be said that Jesus was a blunderer or merely merely a starry-eyed idealist. He knew exactly what he was doing and where he was going and why. Thus, when he commands Forward, the Light Brigade, we follow. Or do we back away? Or do we hold back and watch? Palm Sunday presses the question, do we follow or do we back away? Just about the same time as the charge of the Light Brigade, one of the great thinkers of the Christian faith died in Denmark. Soren Kierkegaard was a prolific philosopher and theologian who has come to be known as the father of existentialism. He had a talent for sprucing his writings with vivid characters and parables. In one book he presses the question, do we follow or back away from the good? He describes a man who tries to do both at the same time a man who walked backwards. He writes that most of the time it's easy to tell when people are fleeing from you. They turn their backs, and that's what you see—their backs. You see them running in the opposite direction. But every so often you encounter the people who walk backwards. They are inclined toward the good. But with each and every step, they move farther and farther away. While with appearance and glance and salutation, they greet you, giving assurances again and again that they are coming immediately, or incessantly saying, here I am, although they get farther and farther away by walking backwards. I take Kierkegaard's point to be that we who claim the faith of Jesus are more often than not the people who walk backwards. His assessment of our casual, even ambivalent Christianity is devastating, but perhaps just what we need to hear on Palm Sunday. What's that you say, Jesus? Take up my cross and follow you? I'm coming immediately. Here I am. You can count on me. This time around, it's going to be different. I promise. Hear me shout. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. AMEN.